What type of soil are you? Because when the word of God is preached, there's different, there's alternate realities that can happen to the same seed. All right? And when you look at parables, you see alternate realities. You see wheat and tare growing up in the same place at the same time, but they're not the same. And so today I want to talk about alternate realities because um, I've been, I don't know if you guys have seen this, um, it's a show on Amazon Prime called The Man in the High Castle. Have you seen that? Has anyone seen Man in the High Castle? Okay, you know what it's about. So The Man in the High Castle is, imagine if Germany and Japan would have won World War II. So they show America as a split the West Coast is run by Japan, and the East Coast is run by the Nazis, and then there's a center, which is a neutral zone, which is really like a chaotic place um, uh, where a whole bunch of characters are. So now, I like this show because this show shows you an alternate reality. It shows what could have happened. And so every time the Word of God is preached, there are different possibilities. There's people who are receiving... There's people who are distracted. I should be on. There's people who are, um, yeah, I'm on B. There's people who are, uh, you know, distracted. There's people who are receiving. There are people who are focused. There's people who, uh, and so we're going to get into that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go uh, into Matthew 13. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony uh, places where they did not have much earth, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was there, uh, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, first of all, uh, let me let me just explain this. How this is a, You have to remember, this is Jesus talking. He's talking to blue-collar people. Uh, yes, it's on. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, yeah. Um, Jesus is talking to blue-collar workers. These are normal people, poor people. Jesus gets onto a boat, and he's sitting on a boat, and the crowd is standing there listening to him teach. Now, one thing that Jesus is doing is he's actually using the water to project his voice. So, Jesus is very smart, number one. And he's using creation to serve his purposes. And so the water, the boat, and the distance, it's actually like the water is carrying his word to the people. So he's using his natural setting to serve uh, the purposes of God, number one. Number two, you have to remember how a first century Jew would hear what's being said. Jesus says something that to us, we just read it and go, okay, cool. But it really doesn't make any sense. He's talking about something that is natural and supernatural. And so he's saying that a farmer goes out to sow seed. And a farmer is sowing seed on the side of the road. That doesn't make any sense. 
in, in that culture. I want you to you understand that. That's like, uh, you know, digging a trench in a brand new pair of Michael Jordans. You, you look at someone doing that and say, it doesn't make any sense. That's what work boots are for. So Jesus is, is in, in this parable, he's, he's saying something to them that doesn't really make sense to them. It, it, they're, they're hearing this and going, what is, what, what is this guy talking about? Like, is this guy crazy? And he's, he's illustrating a kingdom principle through a natural story that is not only natural. All right? So he says that the, the farmer, uh, he sows seed everywhere. He doesn't just sow seed on good ground. Now, if you're a natural farmer, if, you're, if your job is to farm, then you're only going to sow seed on good ground because those seeds are what you eat and that's your family's finances and money and your future. So you're going to use the seeds well. All right, But now he's saying something different. He's saying that there's a farmer and the farmer sows seed everywhere. Okay, and so what you're going to find out is that the problem is not the seed. The problem is the soil. Now, he sows seed everywhere for one purpose. The gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter the condition of your heart. It doesn't matter the condition of your life. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've been through, who stepped all over you, what, what you've been through, uh, what is residing within you. The gospel is for everyone, so therefore the sower sows the seed everywhere. The Bible says go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. In other words, the gospel is for everyone, the word of God is for everyone, but God does not determine how fruitful your life is. You do. God will save you, God will keep you, but God will not bear fruit for you. That's your job. See, there's, there's a collaboration of us partnering with and working with God. God does not predetermine. He does know beforehand. He's omnipresent, omniscient, all that stuff. He does know beforehand how fruitful you'll be, but all of my unfruitfulness is not his fault or his problem. And what that means is it means that those who bear 30, those who bear 60, and those who bear 100... They bear fruit according to how they tend the soil of their own heart. See, this is our job to tend to the soil of our own heart. God will not do what he's commanded me to do. So the scripture teaches me that I need to guard my heart. That's not God's job. He will give me revelation. He will give me insight. He will show me how to. He will tell me not to. Don't let that in your heart. Don't let that in your ears. He'll kind of blow the whistle when things aren't going well. But he will not do for us what he has commanded us to do through him. It's very important. So if I'm unproductive or unfruitful, it's not God's fault nor his problem. In fact, he's been working with me so that I won't be that and... uh, but, but let's, let's continue here. And disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. And so uh, Proverbs says that it's the, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. The glory of God to conceal something. It's the honor of kings to search it out. And so Bill Johnson says it this way, that the mysteries of the kingdom, they're not hidden from us. They're hidden for us. And so there's things that are hidden so that we pursue them and so that we discover them. You notice how they don't get any answers until they start asking questions? Jesus does not just offer the answer. They come and go, hey, you're speaking in parables to them. What is this 
and then they get answers. And so what does that mean? It means that the hungry are those who get fed. If you ask questions, you'll get answers. If you humble yourself, you'll have understanding. One of the fruits of humility, of true humility, is understanding. You will have as much understanding as you're willing to humble yourself. So when people, you know, if, if someone has no understanding, they're not as humble as you think. Humility begets understanding. Because humility asks questions, and questions bring forth answers. Anyway, verse 11, he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you, know the mysteries of the kingdom, but not to them. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. So now he gives a reason for parables, and he's saying that in the parables, prophecy is being fulfilled. So that's one reason for parable, is so that prophecy can be fulfilled. I want you guys to track with me. This is Isaiah 6, verse 9, in case you're uh, interested. Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will perceive... And not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, the ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. <coughs> lest they should understand with their hearts, so that I should hear them. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So he's saying that many people in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, had longed for the day that Messiah would reveal parables, that he would speak, that he would work miracles, that he would come to his people to save his people. But what's profound and what's scary is that he's quoting a very bad passage, a really rough passage in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 6. It's after God calls Isaiah. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. There's no king on the throne, but Isaiah sees the Lord on the throne. Right? And this is Isaiah 6. Isaiah goes, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. We come from a people of unclean lips. He has an encounter with God. The angel cleanses his lips with coal from the altar. Who, where am I going to go? Who I am? And then he says, send me. So God says, okay, I'm going to send you. But I'm going to send you to a people who are not going to listen to you. And Isaiah goes back and forth with God, like, like how will I know? Like how? And, and God basically says that like 90% of these people are going to get totally wiped out. The city is going to be completely desolate. So when Jesus pulls on this prophetic passage, he is insinuating the destiny of the city of Jerusalem again because he knows that he's going to be sent to his own and his own are not going to hear him. They are not going to heed his prophetic warning. So you have to realize that prophecy is being fulfilled. But one of the things that many, many people, especially Americans, especially Westerners, many of the things that we don't understand about the scripture is that Jesus came with a very specific prophetic vocation in his generation. So Jesus did die for our sins so that we could go to heaven, so that heaven could come to earth, so that we could have a better life now. It's true. That's, that's true. It's good. It's not bad. It's good. It's true. But Jesus also came to his own to free them from the impending doom that was going to come upon them if they continued as a nation to do things their way and not God's. 
that this is a big a big thing that is often not seen and not understood. We often just say, okay. Uh, this parable is just about me bearing fruit in my life, my my future, my heart, my feelings. Yes, yes, but it sits within a bigger context. And the bigger context is Jesus has been sent to the nation of Israel with a prophetic vocation, but they're not going to listen to him. The people that do listen to him wind up outside of the city when the city is pillaged in 70 A.D. So these are real events that actually really did happen. This is not just some sort of a theory and a story about how do you guard your heart, how do you protect your future, and how do you not let the deceitfulnesses of riches lie to you, how do you not let the devil steal from you, how do you not distract yourself with things that don't matter so that you're not bearing fruit in your life. That's part of the story, but there's a bigger story. He sent to his own, his own can't hear him. And, and honestly, many times that story repeats itself in our life when there's someone who's close to us who tells us something that is for our benefit, but we don't want to hear it. Someone is sent to their own, but they don't want to hear him. So we say, oh, how can they do that? How can they reject Jesus? But many times we reject the very thing that God is trying to do in our life becomes in, it comes in a package that we don't like. It comes in the form of one of our own. Yeah. So, uh, verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. Now, this is good. This is the word logos. This is in the beginning was the word and the word was God. This is the word that John used for Jesus. And uh, when John used uh, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. That was a a, a very profound statement. It was like a philosophical statement in that day. It was basically saying that the sum total of everything that people long for and desire is Jesus. Who is the creator and sustainer of all life. So it wasn't just this one little descriptive word. It was saying that in him everything exists. And it's a really, really big statement like... If, if you would have read that statement in the ancient world, all the, philosopher, or the, all the philosophical people, all the philosophers would have stand there with their jaw open. John's words in John chapter 1 are profound. We've taken them for granted because we don't understand how they sit in the ancient world. Uh, very, very uh, smart philosophers actually believe that Paul the Apostle saved Greek philosophy through bringing it an understanding of the gospel and who Jesus is as the creator and sustainer of all things. So, so remember he said, uh, to, he was in one, one of the cities in Acts and he says, in him we live, move, and have our being. That's a philosophical statement that the philosophers, he would have blew the doors off of them. These are the smartest people in the world and Paul is blowing the doors off them with wisdom that is from above. So anyway, Jesus is revealing uh, something that the parable, he's going to tell us who the sower is. He's going to tell us what he's sowing and he's going to tell us uh, ways that we can become uh, fruitful. And he's also going to reveal to us things that would hinder us from uh, being fruitful. This is what I want to get to. I want to get to the nitty gritty of what would hinder us from God's word bearing fruit in our life. Because it's really good to know the story and the history. That's really wonderful. But yet Monday's coming. And the story and the history is not going to save you. Making the right decision where you act on what you believe 
and God is standing behind what you believe because what you believe is true. And when you walk in that truth, there's power to bring change. That is what will, will bring the transformation about in your life, in your circumstances, in your family. And at the end of the day, we have to learn how to guard our heart because in guarding our heart, we're protecting our future. All right. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Now, the Bible is really great because the Bible interprets the Bible. Did you hear what he said here? He said, the wicked one comes and snatches away what? What you do not understand. This is why in all of your getting, get understanding. Understanding is critical. What can the enemy steal from you? The scripture just told us. What can he steal from you? The enemy can steal from you that which you do not understand. In all of your getting, get understanding. When you understand something, you own it and then it cannot be taken from you. I don't know if you're tracking with me. So now... Okay, let me give you a very practical example. You don't understand theology. You don't understand that God is good, the devil is bad. You don't understand that Jesus came, that you'd you'd have life and have it abundantly. So something hellish breaks loose in your life, and you think God is punishing you when it's really the devil attacking you, when it's really you live in a fallen world corrupted by sin. So what you do is you then begin to ascribe what Satan is doing to God. You see that? Because you don't have understanding, the enemy can steal from you. And how does he steal from you? By lying to you. So bringing a misunderstanding, it's called deception, into your understanding, and then you're not standing. So now, this is important, because the enemy can steal that which we do not understand. So when I don't understand something about God or about the purposes of God, the enemy then has an ability to steal. But what? That which I don't understand. That's why it's critical to get understanding. And I I hate to say this in a way because it sounds critical, but many people with very good intentions operate from a place of misunderstanding and do not know who they are and do not understand how to operate in the authority that God has given them. When you learn how to operate in the authority that you've been given, that's how you can then walk in your destiny and the purposes and the plans that God has for you. All right, verse 20. But he, uh, okay, so then, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the word by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony ground, this is he who hears the word uh, and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, the person who has a really emotional response to what God is saying. They're so excited. They're so happy. But yet, receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself But endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and become unfruitful. But he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. So now, there's three things 
uh, there are several things, but that try to stop us from being fruitful. First one is, the enemy can steal from us what we don't understand. It's one. Another one is the deceitfulness of riches and the care of other things, the cares of this world. And so cares are the concerns that wind up controlling us. Now, Peter says this, cast your cares on the Lord, right? And he was, by the way, he was present when this was being said. In fact, they might have been on his boat. Um, And so now Peter says this, casting all your cares on the Lord, why? Because he cares for you, okay? So whatever cares I don't cast on the Lord will wind up controlling me later. What are cares? Cares are you have bills, your family has health. We have issues. Those are real things. Those are not uh, ungodly lusts. You have to have a, a Ferrari. You have to have, a, you know, these are, these are normal concerns. You have bills. You have health. You have family. You have concern. You have, these are not bad things. These are things that, in, in a sense, we should be concerned about, but they shouldn't control us. So the proper thing to do with a care Lord, I have a court case. I'm placing it in your hands. Lord, I have a financial need. I'm placing it in your hands. Lord, I have a relational issue. I'm placing it in your hands. Whatever the issue may be, it doesn't matter, is that we, we take it and, and in humility we say, this is too heavy for me to carry. It's not too heavy for you to carry. Here. And that's how we have intimacy with the Lord. We, bring, we open up our hearts with intimacy, with honesty, with transparency. And we say, Lord, I'm going through something. I'm struggling with this. I want to give it to you so it doesn't control me. And all that stuff that we wind up holding on to winds up weighing us down and beating us out and burning us out anyway. So part of having intimacy with the Lord is, by, is just being transparent and saying, Jesus, this is what I'm going through. And in order for me to keep going, I need to give this to you for you to hold on to it. Because if not, it's going to weigh it down. It doesn't matter. You could be lonely, angry, upset. It doesn't matter that the issue, the issue is our hearts are open to him and we honestly give it to him. All right? That's critical. Now, the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are something that that, uh, there's nothing wrong with money. Money is not the problem. The problem is the lie that money tells people. This is what money money tells people. Money says, without it, without me, you're not going to be happy. You're screwed without me. Um, you, you can't have what you want without me. The quality of your life without me is not going to be good. So when you don't have it, it tells you that you need it. But then when you have it, it lies to you in a different manner. It makes you think that you're more powerful than you really are. The deceitfulness of riches lies to people who have it and don't have it. Money, money it's, it's, a, it's a spirit. It's not, it's not the dollar. It's not in the dollar. It's a false sense of power that gives to people. It's a spirit of mammon. But it lies to people. And, and you don't have to have money for money to have you. In fact, there's many people who don't have money and money has them. And then there's many people that all of their decisions, I'm sorry to say this, all of their decisions are based upon money. That's, that's how their, their whole world exists. It's based upon money. Do I have enough money for it? Can I do this? If, if you have enough money for it, maybe God didn't even call you to do it. If you don't have a need in your life that's greater than you are able to meet, I'm, I question if you're even doing what God is calling you to do. It's very important uh, that we understand the lies 
uh, of the enemy as it relates to money. So you have the world, you have the lust of other things, you have the cares of this life, you have the lies that money and mammon try to speak to us. Those are things that stop us from being uh, productive and from, from God's word producing in our life. But what is God trying to produce in our life? God is trying to produce Jesus in our life. See, the sower who sows the seed, what is the seed? His own life. That's why the word is for, for the seed, the, the word he sows the word. That's the word logos. That's the word that is referred to Jesus in John 1. So Jesus gives his life in the earth to produce his life in us. Let me give you an example. A seed has to fall into the ground and it has to die for it to spring forth into resurrection, into new life. What did Jesus do? He had to come from heaven into the earth to die to produce resurrection life in us. Okay, the seed gets planted into the earth and it's split open in its center. And then what is in it spills out of it. And then through pressure, through darkness, and through rain, and through sunlight, something else springs forth. Death and resurrection, right? So the seed, this is, I want you guys to understand, he's talking about his own life, his own sacrifice, and he's talking about how much Jesus will we produce in our life. Will we be a very deformed picture of Jesus? Will we be mature sons and daughters that give a, a clear reflection of Jesus? Will we be like half, little, little more than halfway in with Jesus, like 30%, you know, like we like 30% Christians, 60% Christians, or like 100% Christians? And the best representation of Jesus is when people are all in. Because when people are all in, it becomes more clear what Jesus is like because he lives through us. So this parable is about Jesus producing his life in us and him living his life through us. And there's things that would impair that from happening. And Jesus is trying to open up our eyes so that we see those things that would impair him from flowing and and moving and and, and really living through us. All right. We're going to go to Mark. And then to Luke. Um, And then we'll be done. So Mark chapter 4. And again he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude gathered to him. So that he got into a boat and sat on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his teaching. Listen behold a sower went to sow. And it happened. As he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, when it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth. But when the sun was up, it scorched it, because it had no root, and it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop, and it sprang up, and it increased and produced some 30, some 60, some 100. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, but when he was alone with those, uh, the 12 asked him about the parable. And he says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. One of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables is so that people would not have to be responsible for something they weren't willing to live out, by the way. 
he's speaking in parables to them is also protecting them from something and this is what happens when God reveals something to us revelation comes with responsibility so God is revealing things to these men who are following him, who are curious, who want to know more. These are the guys that are sticking with him. These are the guys that are walking with him. So they're going to have a different realm of revelation than the masses, than the crowds that he's speaking to. So the people that he's revealing this to also have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to become his representatives. So when God reveals something to you, that revelation comes with a responsibility to represent what has been revealed to you. And here's the thing about revelation. Revelation is what empowers you to be changed and to actually represent what God is actually showing you. Jesus said these words. He said, um, he said I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But now I call you friends. And so because I've made known to you all things that the Father has revealed to me. So within Jesus revealing to the disciples what the Father has revealed to Jesus, that revelation has the power to transform who they are and how God interacts with them. He says, I don't call you servants. And the word servants there in Greek is this word doulos, which is really a very degrading word. Doulos was uh, slaves. Rich people in Rome would take their food off the table and fling it off the table. And the doulos would eat the, the, the food from the master's table. So these are human beings that would eat food that was wiped off of the table onto the floor. Jesus says, I'm not calling you guys doulos anymore. <laughs> I'm not calling you little scavengers on the floor. Yeah, you were like 15 minutes ago, uh, you know, floor dwellers. But now I call you friends. Jesus has quite a personality. I'm not calling you guys slaves anymore. You guys can sit at the table. There's a place for you, right? Because of what has been revealed to you, I'm going to relate to you differently, right? So when God reveals something to us, uh, he begins to relate to us differently, and God wants us to grow in friendship with him. God wants to, for us to, to know what it is that he's doing. God wants us to be able to recognize what he's doing so that we can participate with what he's doing. All right, let me continue. Seven. But some fell among thorns, and the thorns... Uh, no, 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 I finished that already. I'm sorry. Um, Twelve. So that seeing they may see uh, and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven of, of their sins. Verse 13. This is important. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, I like to share each Matthew, Mark, and Luke because each one of them is giving us a broader perspective of what is happening. Now, you have to remember that Mark is Peter's account. So, what's, what's happening in Mark is Peter is talking, Mark is writing. Peter, they're perhaps on Peter's boat. And they're, they're there, Peter was there, Matthew was there, Luke was not there. So Luke is going to, uh, he's going to add something uh, to the story uh, that is very profound. In fact, I don't think uh, without Luke's gospel, I don't think the whole story is fully complete. Luke adds something that's very, very important. So Matthew uh, was Levi, the tax collector. He wrote Matthew. Mark was Mark. He was uh, Peter's assistant, his scribe, his, uh, you know, personal assistant. And uh, 
Luke is a Greek guy who's telling a Jewish story that's been told to him secondhand. So the story has been told to him by people who are watching, people who are eyewitnesses, and he takes it as a doctor and he uh, gives it uh, a little bit more detail. And there's something that he says at the end that uh, is very important. It's so ghetto. There's a dog in that room. That's what you hear. Anyway, all right. We have a dog in our church for those who are online watching us. We're dog friendly. (laughs) Anyway, Erica fed a dog in Haiti. The Haitian pastor said he'd never seen anyone do that. (laughs) All right, that was public. Sorry. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. I like to say with emotionalism. And they have no root in themselves, and so they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, let me tell you one thing, how this works. We don't quit right away. We don't just go, oh, okay, I'm quitting, and then quit. What we start to do when times get hard, uh, we start to ask ourselves questions that God is not asking. We start to ask ourselves, did God really call me to do this? Should I really have went here? Should I really have said yes to this? So we make a decision that God is leading us to make. And we hit some turbulence along the way. And as soon as we hit turbulence, we start asking these questions to ourselves. Did God call us? Did God send us? Should we have went? Just because there's a little conflict. And I want to to say this to you, that if you're going to serve the purposes of God, if you're going to be successful in life, there will be conflict. There's no way around conflict. There's no way around turbulence. It will happen. And you have to learn how to navigate that. And when you hit turbulence, is is a time not to go, why are we hitting turbulence? It's a time to strap your seatbelt on and hunger down and get through it. And when you start to go through those things, it's not a time when you need understanding. It's a time where you need faith. It's a time where you need to say, no, I'm going to go through this. God has sent me here. It's not easy. It's not fast. But I'm going to go through it because he's worth it. Because he's producing something in my life. Think about, I want you to think about, the seed falls on good ground. Okay? And, and so good ground is ground that has been broken up. How do you break up the ground of your heart? You confess. You confess your sins. I'm giving you, this is free advice here. You confess your sins. You admit your faults. You forgive people who hurt you. You choose to be a giver. You choose to serve. You choose to do things that the scripture tells you to do. That's how you manage your heart. Right? This is is how you manage your heart. So that you can be productive in the kingdom of God. So this is how you break up the fallow ground of your heart. And make sure that when the word is sown, it's sown on good ground. Okay, but now this word is sown. It's a good word. You're happy about the word. but, But now what happens? Well... The seed has to go into a dark place, into a cold place, into a place of what seems to be isolation. And there's pressure on the seed. And the seed has to get broken open 
for the process even to begin. Now let's talk about that in your emotional life. Oh, Jesus, this feels so hard. Why me, Jesus? Why me every time, Jesus? Well, if the seed doesn't get broken open, no fruit. When the seed is getting broken open, I promise you, it doesn't feel good. And many times in our life and in faith, we come to a breaking point before we reach a breakthrough. So now you have a seed that's a lot of pressures on it. It's about to crack. And then it cracks. And now it's ready to get poured out so that light and rain can come and so that fruit can then come later. But there's something that it takes. (coughs) If you've been in church for a long time, you know the principle of seed, time, and harvest. Right? We grew up hearing seed, time, and harvest, right? And, and that's, you know, we think about many times people, just, many times people are talking about money, but it's not about money. It's actually about God being uh, the process of God in our life because the, the word is sown and it takes time. It doesn't just happen immediately. The, the, the guy who springs up immediately has no depth within himself. He receives the word with emotionalism, but no power to fulfill the commitment that he just made to the word. The word takes time. Takes time. You're going to see Luke is going to give us the, I love Luke. Luke Luke is about to, he's going to give it to us in just a few minutes. But verse 19, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire or the longings of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones who have sown on good ground, those who bear the, uh, the word and accept it. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Now, we're going to go to Luke, but I I want to uh, remind you as as we go through this and get ready to wrap up that what did Matthew just tell us? Matthew, excuse me, what did Mark just tell us? Mark is telling us that there are several things in which hinder the word from growing in our life, right? The first one is when you don't understand something, what happens? The enemy can steal what you don't understand. You own what you understand. There's another, there's another great example that Mary uh, sits at the feet of Jesus. And I, I wrote a book called Sitting at His Feet. You should buy it and read it. But Mary sits at Jesus' feet and Martha is upset about it. All right? Martha's not having it. Martha's over there cooking Jesus' dinner. She's upset about it. She's medicating her uh, anxiety and anxiousness with work, which many times people do. Um, And so Martha is all bent out of shape that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And the reason is because Mary is sitting in a room that women didn't sit in during those days. That's what it's about. It's, it's, you see, if you don't understand the culture, you miss the story. You, you think that it's two people who are against each other and then you pit one against the other. That's not the story. The story is that actually Mary is sitting in a room that was only for men. Women did not sit in that room. They brought food to that room and they served that room. This is a very different culture. So Mary is sitting in a men's room listening to a conversation by Jesus. So 
she, Jesus says this to Martha, Mary has chosen that which cannot be taken from her now which means Jesus is revealing to us that there is a place in God there is a place in Jesus where we can be with Jesus where the enemy cannot steal from us specifically the word in other words the word that Jesus was speaking to Mary was not going to be stolen from her which means she understood what Jesus was saying. And we know that she anointed Jesus for burial. So obviously she got Jesus better than the rest of the folks. She anointed Jesus for burial. She saw the cross before him because she could sit at his feet and hear his word. So she could see what he was doing when no one else could. They were fighting over, can I sit at your right and your left in your kingdom? And before the kingdom there was a, there was a cross. She saw that. She anointed him for burial because she saw and because she sat. And wherever the gospel goes, that story goes for her as a testimony for her because she had a listening ear. Jesus said, what you have uh, received will not be taken from you. There's two principles there, humility and proximity. Number one, she sat at his feet, which means she became subservient to his authority. She chose to govern her life according to his word. So she sat at his feet, humility, and she was close to him, proximity. So when people are humble and when they draw near to Jesus, the enemy cannot steal from them. In fact, those are the kind of people that the enemy doesn't want to be around. He flees from people like that because people like that know who they are and expose him. And those people are going to give the devil a hard day because they know who they are in God and they have confidence in who Jesus is and in what Jesus has said and they operate in that confidence and they push back darkness. All right? Now... Let's go to Luke. Luke 8. Um, Luke 8, in the beginning of the passage, it tells us who uh, is rolling with Jesus. It tells us about Jesus' monthly partners. Let me, let me just show you about Jesus' monthly partners. They're all women, by the way. Most of the people that gave to Jesus' ministry were women. Uh, most of the people who buy Christian books are women. And it's just the way it is. Anyway. Uh, one of the people, this is very interesting, I, I always find this very interesting. And Joanna, the wife of Judah, Herod's steward. So Herod, the bad boy uh, who thought he was the king of the Jews. Um, Herod, his financial officer's wife, was sowing money into Jesus' ministry. See that? The devil has to pay the kingdom too. Anyway, that's, that's in uh, Luke 8, 1 through Here's verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed seed. Some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. But others fell on good ground and sprang up and yielded a crop. And when he said, a, a crop of a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, 
but to the rest it is given in parables. Seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. All three passages, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all cite the prophecy from Isaiah, which is very critical because that prophecy from Isaiah is going to be fulfilled again. And Jesus is using the word of God. This is very important. He's using the word of God to identify to the people of God what God is up to. That's very important. If you're, if you're spirit-filled and if you're, you're a leader and you're responsible, you have to be able to identify what God is doing according to his word. You see the principle uh, happens with Peter. The spirit of God is poured out. Peter said, this is what Joel spoke about. You have to be able to identify and recognize what God is doing and you have to be able to do it by the Spirit according to the Word of God. It's very important. All right. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the Word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones... On the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and they have no root, who believe and then fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out, and they're they're choked with cares, riches, and pleasures. See that? Cares, riches, and pleasures. And bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word, listen to this, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see that with patience? With patience, that phrase is not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, but there's a key there that unlocks something in Luke. And so... The production, uh, the G- Jesus being produced in our life only happens and will only happen through patience. The trial of your faith produces patience. The Bible speaks of patience in the feminine tense of a word and says, let patience work her perfect work. So what patience does is patience brings what God is doing in us and through us to a place of maturity. And the reason that it does that is because people trust that which is mature. You're not going to leave your child with a child. You're going to leave your child with an adult. So the idea of things coming to a place of maturity in our life is what gives us credibility. It's what makes us trustworthy. So us being, uh, to, uh, being able to produce mature fruit is what says to the world around us that we're trustworthy people. If I act like the world around me, why should the world around me, why should they trust me if I'm just like them? Why should I be able to influence them if I'm just like them? If I got a problem, I gotta, you got to reach above yourself. You got to go, go somewhere where someone can give you some help. And if we're just like them, what can we offer them? Nothing. But if there's mature fruit in our life, what can we offer them? Jesus. Right? So that means when someone comes with their dysfunction and their pain, I'm able to offer them an alternative perspective. I'm able to give them the word of God from Jesus' perspective. 
your offer, your, 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 you can offer them something that brings them hope, that brings them light, that brings them life, that gives them an alternate reality. Because what you see in this parable is you see alternate realities. You see that th- there's nothing wrong with the seed. The sower sows the seed everywhere. The seed is his own life. It's his own word. It's his own purposes. It's his own divine intentions. It's his own power. He, he gives willingly of himself to produce his life in us. So the problem is not with <clears throat> the seed. The problem is with the soil. And the sower does not determine how much fruit will bear. We do. Jesus does not determine how much fruit you'll have in your life. You do, by how you respond to him and how you manage the heart that he's given you. So if my Christianity is lame, it's not his fault. If my testimony is weak, it's not his fault. It's not. Because he has provided his own life, which is all we need. Besides, obviously, each other and other things. But he is, he is given of his very best to produce his best in us. It's not like, oh, you know what? I'm going to give 30% of myself to James, 80% of myself to Brett. You know, I'm going to give 100% of myself to Angelo, and uh, he really needs me, so I'm going to give all of myself to Angelo. But you know what? Joe Allen is a nicer person, very sweet, so I'm only going to give Joe Allen 60% of me because he's not as demented as the rest of the group over here. See that? No, he gives his life equally to all of us, and we give him back... That's our offering. That's, that's how we respond by giving back to him what he's given to us. And let me just say one thing. When God gives something to us, his intention is that we would bring increase to that which he has given to us. So when God gives you something in seed form, when he comes back to look at it, he wants it to be mature. When God gives you a seed, it's because he intends you to steward a tree. You see what I'm saying? So God may give you something and then your love for him is seen in how you respond and how you steward what he's given you. All right, there's three things. Uh, there's, there's, there's about three or four things that prohibit us from bearing fruit. This is what I want to end with. The first, <clears throat> well, we don't understand the enemy steals. That's very, very simple. and just It's simple. Whatever you don't understand, you don't really own. You may be able to drive your car, but people who understand it can fix it. You can never fix something you don't understand. All right? So the enemy can steal what we don't understand. That's why if I have a spiritual experience, it only comes valuable to others when I have understanding of what it means. It's great that you have a dream. Without an interpretation, all you have is a dream, which is a fantasy. But it becomes real when you have an interpretation. And you know what it means and you know how to use wisdom to apply the word that God has given you. That, that, that's a game changer right there. Right? So now you have, the enemy can steal what he doesn't understand. Then you have people who have no roots within themselves. Now this is not, a, the problem is not the devil. The first problem, watch this, the first problem <clears throat> is the devil. He's a thief. I want to give you something because I think Christians really say things that they don't really know what they're saying. People think that Satan needs like a, um, uh, you know, like authorization to steal from you. 
And I, and I want to just tell you one thing. When was the last time a thief called you and asked you permission to steal from you? We know thieves. They don't ask. They take. Right? Yes, no? All right, whatever. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? So, so the enemy will steal what you don't understand. Then you have another folks. These are the folks... They have no depth. They have no roots. They, they, their soil is rocky. It hasn't been broken up. It's hard. It's bitter. It's angry. It's frustrated. And so the, the word seed never finds its way down because they have no depth. They have all emotional responses with no depth. So the problem now is not Satan. It's them. To properly fix a problem, you got to figure out what, what the issue is, really. So the problem now is these folks have no depth. And I don't want to say this in a bad way, but we really do honestly live in a shallow generation. People that have no depth, they say things they don't do, they don't walk out their commitments. I'm pissed off, so I'm leaving my wife because my daddy left. And they're conditioned to think when things are not good, I leave. I don't stick it out. I don't walk through it. I don't stay committed to it. I leave. Wanderers, vagabonds. We live in a generation of vagabonds with no depth. People who as soon as things get hard, they're out. You know, which was foreign to even to our nation. World War II generation of people, they didn't think like that. But then, anyway, let me get out of that. Then you have, so the problem is first Satan. He's a problem. He's a thief. So he's going to steal. Then you have folks with no depth. The soil hasn't been broken up. Everything is emotionalism, but no commitment. No, no depth, no root system. Uh, they're, they're like all over. Then you have another issue, and that's the issue of the world. The ecosystem of Satan. Which is, you have to be ruled by the cares of this world, the lust for other things, and the deceitfulness of riches. So I want to show you that you have three things that could possibly stop us, me, you, we, from being fruitful in God. Number one, it's the enemy. Number two, it's you. Number three, it's the world that we live in. There is a system that operates within the earth. It's called the world. If you grew up in church, you know about the world. You look at New York City with all the lights, that's the world. <laughs> There's a system that operates within the world that works death, that brings destruction. It's, 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 John says it, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which is the same thing in different words is the deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things, and the cares of this world. What you need, what you think you need, and what you, what, what you want to be. It's a system. It's not real. It's something that is a, it's a, it's a force of destruction that destroys people. So you have these three things. You have Satan, who is a thief, you have a possibility of you having no depth. And then you have a system that is an alluring illusion that tells you things that are simply not true. 
And 24-7, I want to say this to us because 24-7, every time I pick up my phone, every time we look at this phone, every time we look, we drive by billboards, these things, every time, almost every single time, the lust of the world, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes is speaking to us. Every single day, all the time. The cares of this world. Those are good things. You will be happy if you have a new car. You will be happy if you have a house. You will be happy if you have a condo. You will be, and, and those things often in my own life, the greatest distractions that I've found to be distractions are good things. If you give priority to what is most important, then everything else has its place in your life. And there's nothing wrong with house, car, or any of those things. That's not the point. The point is when they start to, to occupy space in our mind, space in our heart, and they start to keep us uh, distracted from the things that really matter. And I'm, I'm being vulnerable. I'm opening up myself to say that I, 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 it's, when you mature in God, you've been walking with God a long time, there's things that you're just not interested in. You just, it's just distasteful to you. It's not helpful. And you see how it's destroyed the life of people you care about. You go, yeah, I'm just not doing that. But there's other things that can distract you that are not like, you know, uh, overtly evil or bad. They're actually good things, but something good that's not in the right time is not God. And it'll bring a force and it'll bring something into your life that is not beneficial for you. Something good that is not God is not, is not, is not beneficial for you. There, there are things that you can do out of season that won't be a blessing, that'll be a curse. That, that's why you have to really know the season of life that you're in and what are the priorities that God is giving you because if you start to take on priorities that are not God's but they're yours, then you're going to bear the burden and the weight of that. And it's not going to be a blessing as God intended it to be. Something out of season is not a blessing. Something out of season is a burden. You know, and those and those can be good things. Those those are not bad things sometimes. So so anyway, so you have the enemy. I'm going to wrap up in three minutes. You have the enemy, who steals. You have people who have no root system. Now I'm 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 really big on this. I I don't know. You know, I'm old school. I was I, I had this belief even when I was a traveling uh, guy. I I believe in a local community. I believe in a local church. I believe that you're planted to prosper. And I believe that if I actually planted seeds somewhere, like literally like farming seeds, I would go back to that place where I planted and I would expect fruit to come forth from where I've sown me. So I, I don't get, I don't get vagabond Christianity where I go here, I go there, I go everywhere, but no one really knows me, no one really knows my name, my strengths, my weaknesses, I don't have an opportunity to use my gifts, I don't, I, I'm not with this whole thing of everywhere all the time, like that, I'm not with that, I, I don't, I'm really against that. I really don't think it's healthy. I think it's healthy when you grow up into community. People know who you are. They know where you are. They know what your struggles are, what your strengths are. They're committed to walking with you. You're committed to loving on them. The whole idea of being planted, is to me, it's a big thing. And I, I've always believed in it. And to me, it's not a light thing. When God calls you to be somewhere or when he calls you to do something, to me, it's not light. 
me. I mean, some people, they, they, they're opportunists. They go wherever is better, wherever is easier, wherever can get for them. But I, I don't, I'm old school. I'm, I, I try to know what is God saying and where, what am I supposed to be doing with what God is saying. So you have people who have no depth. You have people who the enemy steals from. And then you have a system in this world that lies to us constantly and tells us what is important and tells us what we should have and tells us what is beautiful. I'll give you an example. It's, and, and it's, it's worse for women. You guys really face it worse than us. You, you stand in line. And you're in ShopRite and you have the Inquirer and all these magazines. These women, their faces have been photoshopped 26 times. They've been airbrushed and they're plastic. And then your wife sits uh, in the line and she goes, I don't look like that. Well, if we give you four plastic surgeries and airbrush your face and take every single blemish off of you, you could look like that too. But the world tells us what's beautiful. The world tells us what's valuable. The world tells us what we should have, what we need. And I, I just think that we have to really have our guard up because what, what the enemy wants to do is he wants us to prioritize things that are not important. And we live in a generation of, that's plastic. And I'm not against getting a facelift or whatever it is. But the, the point is, what I'm saying, the point is that we can't allow things to become priorities that are not. Because then we live with a dysfunctional um, operating system and we'll have glitches so so anyway to make a long story short to, to wrap this all up again you have the enemy who steals what we don't understand you have people with no depth and no roots how do you get depth spending time with God confession of sin forgiving confession of faults being honest with people being transparent Worshiping, praying, reading the word of God, listening to the word. I mean, serving. I mean, that, that's how you grow depth. How do you grow depth? How do you go stronger? Well, you put pressure on muscles. That's how you, how you go stronger. And then the other one is what? The cares of the world. So that means that there's good things that can occupy too much space and cause us to become unproductive in the kingdom of God. That means there's other things that lie to us that tell us, you shall long for me. You need me. You have to have me. Without me, you can't be happy. And then there's other things, you know, the whole thing with money, the, the lie of, of what, if, if money would make people happy, people wouldn't jump out of the buildings. You notice that when people are jumping out of buildings over there, it's usually people with money and great jobs. But the pressure has come so heavy on them. The cares of this world, those things have gotten onto them so heavy that they think that ending their life is the only way out. And then it only gets worse from there. Which is, again, a lie. How does the enemy steal from you? By lying to you. So how do you become productive? Unfortunately, there's only one way. Patience. You give yourself to the process of God and you say... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manage my heart. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to protect my future. I'm going to break up the fallow ground. I'm going to allow God to work in my life. I'm going to allow the reign of the Spirit in my life. I'm going to allow the light of God's Word into my life so that I can become productive. I'm going to put myself in places where light and rain will get on me. 
I'm going to worship. I'm going to get in a position where rain can get on me. I'm going to get into the word of God where light can get in me and this seed can grow. And I'm going to give it the due time that it takes to bear fruit. And that, that takes patience. And you know you're experiencing patience when you're going, this is taking way too long. This shouldn't take that long. Why does this have to take that long? That's when patience is growing. When you start saying that kind of stuff, that's when patience is growing. You know, and what, is, what does Jesus say about patience? This is it. In patience, you possess your soul. What does that mean? It means that you cannot have rule over your mind, will, and emotions until you have patience. So what does that mean? Patience is what allows you to have rule over your mind, your will, and your emotions. Patience is what allows you to process something without overreacting to it. And when you don't have patience, you say a lot of things like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have reacted that way. When you, when you're go, when you start going down the list of, I'm sorry, I should have, would have, could have, that's because there's a lack of patience. So that's not something to feel condemned about, but it's something to grow in.